Hey, it is Bob of the show Bob Saget's here for you. Yes, that's my claim to fame. It's a podcast that I'm going to do until I can't talk, which might be later today if I'm told not to talk. Um, I hope you're doing good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. It just happened. I hope you had a safe New Year. I hope you're well. I hope you didn't party too much and then get sick from being around a million people, even though you might not believe in that. But uh, I believe in peanut butter. But I'm wishing you all a really happy New Year. I have a guest today who uh, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have in my life as a friend. I love this man. It's B.J. Novak. B.J. Novak um, is a person that you know from The Office. Um, He acted on it, then he produced, exec produced, wrote, directed episodes, um, nominated many times, won some awards, SAG Awards as a company, and the Writers Guild Award uh, for The Office. People want to hear about awards, but... That's not why he does it. He does it to make uh, people happy. He does it because he's a creative guy. I met him when he was 21 years old at, when he uh, honored me at a at the Harvard Lampoon big show called The BJ Show. And I got to meet him, and we've been friends ever since. And he is so talented. He's been in many films that I know you've enjoyed. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, it's a good one to watch with the little kids. Uh, the Founders, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Um, he has a new movie coming out that is uh, called Vengeance that he stars in and wrote and directed. And he is, uh, I'm excited to see this movie. It is completed and uh, they're going to be getting it out there soon. If you haven't seen the premise on Hulu, watch this. I watched all five episodes again last night. It is I loved it. So I'm going to say it's really, really good. It covers all personalities and sides in those five episodes of different parts of BJ. Um, he is, he wrote um, uh, most of them. He wrote on all of them, I think. Uh, yes, he did. He wrote three of them exclusively. I'm not always sure. I get a lot of things wrong because um, I didn't go to Harvard. Harvard is a name that is brought up too much in this episode, I'm telling you, don't make a drinking game out of it. Maybe do that. Every time you hear the word Harvard, uh, just drink a, a shot because he is a sweetheart and doesn't want the word brought up. <laughs> so, so that's what a good person he is. Um, so again, watch the premise if you missed it on Hulu through FX, and it is uh, it's just great. And he has, of course, uh, the book with no pictures, 34 weeks, number one on the bestseller list. It's too bad it didn't have success. And then there's a sequel to it, the book with no pictures, fill in the blanks, where you can have your kid. He wanted to make a book that made kids happy, and he did it. He makes a lot of people happy. Um, Again, I've known him since he's 21. He opened for me a little bit on the road. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about The Office. We'll talk about... The world of B.J. Novak, one of the sweetest people and most creative people that I know and love. Um, And you know what to do. You follow, you review, you rate, you subscribe. You can do whatever you want with this podcast, literally. (laughs) And it's on YouTube, youtube.com slash Bob Saget. So you can watch the split-screen Zoom, which is amazing television. It's like the very beginnings when they first invented it. And uh, what else? Oh, I'm on tour. I am on tour. Go to bobsaget.com. And I'm going everywhere because I'm going to have a new special in the months ahead. 
that I'm going to be damn proud of and I can't wait to share with all of you because it's a little more positive and dealing with what we've all been dealing with and try not to just do a bunch of crass jokes or although they're there but uh i don't know enough about me this is not about me that's really hard when you have a six minute intro right it's about bj novak he is incredibly special and talented and he's got a huge heart and he's just i just love the guy so uh please welcome in my friend bj novak Oh, uh, this is this is all I care about. Same. This now the holidays have begun. They have. They're actually when this thing airs, it's New Year's, so it's Happy New Year, BJ. Let's start again. Twenty twenty two has now officially begun. Fifty seven eighty nine. I don't That's know what right. year it is. That's right. How we can. Yeah. I'm so happy to see you, Bob. I got to talk about something here. I've been looking through your past guests. Okay, I'm like a son to you. You yeah. have had. Everyone I've ever met on the show before you ask me. You have had Bill Burr twice on the show before you ask me. But that was an accident because I just moved over to all things comedy. So that that was a, that was a business move because we know I love you more than Bill. Although if Bill's listening, I love Bill so much. I know, I know. I just <laughs> I don't know what to make of this because again, I feel like family to you, and I've been wanting to catch up, and here we are finally. But we did see each other. Uh, in person, but honestly, I think you're right. Nothing means more than being on your friend's podcast. I mean, look, Mark Marin and I have never gotten along. I was on his podcast. Dak Shepard and I, we had a years long misunderstanding. I was on his podcast. You're like right. my show business father. And it's taken until 2022. Well, first thing I want to apologize to you. Always put the host on the defensive. That is my strategy. That is actually smart. Because then they then they look at their notes and they fluster and, you know, you know, Craig Ferguson would rip up his notes before the show. But if you attacked him, I think he would not have ripped him up. Yeah. Anyway, him up. I got nothing. I got no prepositions. It's him and them because you are a brilliant Harvard graduate. Is, is that a preposition? What is that? I am a fool from Philly. I, lo- I forgot everything. Thank God. It's a, it's a an damn. Awesome. Your writing is like, okay, let's go back to this. I'm sorry, but I want to say something. I started this podcast before uh, the COVID thing. Uh, You know about COVID, right? What happened? Something he put a a bat in a thermos with some something else. Something happened at a market, at Farmer's Market, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it was on Larchmont. Yeah, it was on Larchmont. Where it started. There's right. someone was with the parking and some mad scientist. Yeah. Yep. And then that way they were convenient to edit the documentary at Paramount. <sighs> so anyway, I'm saving the best for this next uh, decade because there's no reason. Podcasts are great. I'm out. I'm working and doing oh, what I'm God. doing. But in 20 years, I'm going to be ahead on a stick. And don't think I'm not going to call on you again, but you're going to be too busy. You'll have won the Oscar. You won't be able to answer. I'll be waiting by the phone. I'll be scrolling through your podcast guest list, jealous. The Bill Burr has now been on 200 times, a record setter. And I'm coming back for my second appearance. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to say it. I love you so much, BJ. I I know. I know the love. I just, anyway, (laughs) we got to get back. (laughs) <laughs> some people of our of our persuasion and they call it that because we're very persuasive people and we are a persuasive tribe 
Yes. That's and what they fear about us. True. And yeah. I don't think we like to be called a tribe. And I like it. I like being called a tribe because right. it takes away all my obvious uh, how intellectual I am. You're one of the smartest people I know. And I know I need to know more people. But Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, someone, um, a smarter man than I, once said that your goal should always be to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. So, you know, um, so, um, so yeah, anyway, that, that is always the goal for me as well is to find people that, you know, soak it up as it were. Well, I have fulfilled that wish for myself, but, but you are not the dumbest person in the room. What you did from the moment I met you, I guess we'll go there. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll talk first thing. How's everybody as of the point of this recording? That's just after New Year's. How's your everybody, family, brothers, parents? Everyone's alive and well. Yeah, thank you. I like all that. Yeah, and if a- anything changes, you'll let me know and I'll put in a little disclaimer at the top. Yes, <laughs> BJ Novak's cousin has since come down with, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this. I think I told you one time when I met you when you were 21. Is that accurate? Yep. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm, I'm getting old too quick. Um, and at the moment I met you, uh, I knew that we were going to have a connection. Uh, and you don't know if you're going to have a connection forever because you t- could have turned into a complete showbiz asshole, but... You're the opposite. Well, you helped you helped protect me. You know, um, when I moved out to write on your show, I'm sure you remember you called my mom at home and my mom was very worried. I remember her face and she was talking to you and she was nodding and nodding. You said, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make sure he's a good person. I'm going to look out for him. And that's what made her comfortable to send me out to L.A. And then when I got there, <laughs> you were at the clubs every night. <laughs> And I was like, Spider Room on Wednesday, you you did not on the face of it seem to be a good influence at the beginning, but you you were because of your heart, you know. And, and I, I went, we went to like the Spider Room. Or yeah, spider yeah. Room. You were like, stick with me, kid. And we were like, boom, boom. <laughs> I was like, this isn't what you told my mom. But it was, we were in a wholesome uh, mindset there. It well, was I was single. Like, oh, you, was were, you were single. Yeah, uh, still am. It was the 2000s, you know. It was a different time. There was no Facebook. You had to meet people, you know, in the club. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you meet good people. That's always, anytime you're lonely, head to the nearest club. I do remember I was um, living with my roommate, Steve, and I was lonely in LA. And he said, it's your own fault. You're not going to Saddle Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> and I believed him. I felt guilty that I had not gone to Saddle Ranch where I would have made friends, presumably. You would have made so many and you could have I know. Uh, paid for someone to ride the bull while drinking nine margaritas. Yeah. And then the the the, the yak goes in a circle. That's, what, that's your move. You hire other people to ride the bull. Must be nice. Yeah, you bet that on them. Indication money. Must be nice, Bob. That's it. <laughs> Here's it's, a 20. Go ride this bull. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody who did it. And they yeah. had their wedding ring caught on the on the, the thing you hold on to that if I was uh-huh. watching Yellowstone, people would yell at me that I don't know the name of it. Yeah. They, they teach me the bridal. I don't know what it yeah. is. But you hold that and his ring got caught and it ripped it's off that. his knuckle and he had to go to Cedar sinai and his wife found out about it. That wasn't good. Found out about? That he was getting drunk 
in a bar that I don't think he was supposed to be at. But I'm yeah. not naming names. Yeah, you're when you're when you lose your wedding ring at a bar, it doesn't tend to get worse <laughs> the more you explain it that your knuckle was ripped off as well. And you always have the scar. Remember yeah. this, so, honey? honey? I was at a bar and I took off my wedding ring. It gets way worse. <laughs> But I had to ride the bulls for yeah. you, honey. Bob Saget gave me a hundred bucks. <laughs> You're not the first person that yelled that out. Um, yeah. See, I can't do any of these. A lot of my humor has actually changed just because I don't want to do it. I, I want to do different humor. I still, it's weird, BJ. And you were, you started as a comedian kind of, but you were also, I mean, you started in at Harvard as a, I would say a writer and, and plays. Smart dance, yeah, a writer. Definitely. And, and then um, when I met you, it was near the end of your, your, you were done. You were about to graduate. And uh, just so people know, you're a member of the Harvard Lampoon, and uh, which is the, I think, the most aristocratic uh, comedy publication maybe in the world. I mean, Oxford has their equivalent. What is that called? Who knows? Exactly. So, <laughs> but you, uh, and it's Harvard Lampoon is where a lot of people, there's hasty pudding, people always get things confused. Uh, this is not about dressing in drag. I wonder how that's going for hasty pudding right now on the Kansas. Good question. Camp. Yeah, I'd hate for their high quality productions to have <laughs> been re, yeah. Anyway, um, I, that was, anyway, yes, no, no disrespect to that. Uh, no, no, it's and, and don't worry, because they, you know what, a lot of people through the years did it, and it was an honor, because it was Harvard, turning the whole form on its upside down, whatever, but but what, when I met you, I couldn't get into Harvard, I'd been a comedian, I'd been divorced, I had stopped doing the family shows, um, the, the full house and the video thing. And, and it was like a, a magical time to be accepted to Harvard. And it's all because of you. Yeah. So, I knew who you were. I knew who, I knew your comedy soul. I knew your comedy. I knew your comedy and I knew that you would blow some minds and I was right. So, um, it was, it was a great deal for us to have you there. It was very exciting for everybody when you, when you actually said yes and, and came to Harvard. It was I said yes cool. right away. It was um, one of my dearest friends in my life, Michael Price, who's also one of yours. Um, he's still one of your friends, right? Yeah, I was going to try to beat you to reference it, his name. Michael, if you're listening, I was I was going to bring it up first, but continue. Yeah, but Michael knows that I'm, I'm really fast at it, trying it to say It means more so. from me, though, so, you know. It actually does. I think you're right. <laughs> With all of your insecurity, uh, which I didn't even know existed when I met you, mm -hmm. because the confidence is put on the BJ and the BJ show, and there's yeah, another yeah. guy named BJ. That, yeah. But uh, you know that's another story for another, for not another time. But but it was a great show that you guys did it yearly. You had done it a few times before. We've done it a couple times. Yeah. This was our second time. And so you was there any premeditated thought? You know, Bob seems like a nice guy. Maybe something maybe he'll recommend me to someone in showbiz was there any no. thought of that no i didn't that did not occur to me that's why i'm in love with you because i am the guy that i would get there a guy would do the premeditated 
type of move or a young lady or however anyone uh, identified that wanted to know me that thought I could help them. And uh, this was just an appreciation of, you got me. Here I am, 20 years older than you, and you plus, and you you just got me. And yeah. that's... I've always- I've always been a fan. I mean, you don't need more fans in the comedy world. Everyone knows who you are, but, and everyone listening to this does, but even, even recently I went on YouTube just to look up your old Johnny Carson uh, appearances and you're just dazzling the man. You are going so fast. He can barely keep up. He's smiling to the audience about you. And I mean, talk about confidence. Here you are on the biggest stage in the world and you're hardly a shrinking flower. You're just, you know, crackling on on the biggest stage in the world and i mean you did that show what 10 times 20 times i mean I actually I, I i thought it was 13 somebody told me 15 but i never did stand up i only did panel because i wasn't appropriate uh, for stand up with my stand up uh yeah but you know it, yeah real comedy people know know what you do and that's interesting that you're looking to change yet again another um, evolution. How would you describe that? What you're interested every, in? Now? Every seven to eight years, I turn into something different. I'll, I'll go off it. I'll spend time directing something which works or doesn't, mm-hmm. and I'll do something. But I'll, right now, I am what I think this is going to be really arrogant, but it's not hope. I'm. I, I know that I'm doing the best stand-up I ever did in my whole life. I never was at this point where I'm looking at people that inspire me that are 30, 20, 35, and I'm going, wow, look at look at how great they are. Look how honest they yeah. are. You know, besides the normal Mount Rushmore of our time, you know, Dave or Bill or, mm-hmm. I mean, all the people. And, and I'm going, wow, I'm talking. I'm I'm connected. Yeah. I'm honest. I've slowed down. I'm not doing a joke about the joke about pedophilia that everybody was doing because it, it was making fun of it. Mm-hmm. But it today it reads horrifically. And I don't I'm not a guy that wants to trigger anybody. And so I I think I'm in a good good place. You're I you're like in the best place I think I've ever seen you in. And, and I don't know how you feel about that. Um, well, I like you, I, I want to keep changing and doing more. I'd love to um, get back on stage. I haven't been on stage since a whole different phase of my life. And like you, I would like to find what is next for my style. You know, I, my style was very, um, sort of purposefully uh, stiff, stiff and square, you know, write a joke and present it. And it was really, I gave away nothing about myself, nothing about my opinions or my life. And um, because I guess that was who I was. I was a person who wrote the best thing I could and then wanted to show it to you. And I think there was definitely something enjoyable about that. I love a lot of one-liner comics and observational comics like that, but um, you know, in terms of what you do, where it's like, okay, how do I connect to people now? I think, you know, I was talking to Whitney Cummings and she said, there's so much good comedy on Twitter and Instagram. If you're looking for jokes, people got them. They're yeah. there. So they want to see you because that's what they can get on stage that, um, 
that they can't get online. So now I got to think, oh, who am I? Because <laughs> um, who I've been is a guy who's just working hard to try to write jokes. And of course, we all have a person, you know, my real personality, we all have a real personality. But someone said to me early on, I think it was a writer on Raising Dad, the show, you know, that I wrote for, for you, said that, I don't know, it was Bill Masters or someone said the best comic is someone you're sitting um, backstage with them. And then they say, uh, hold on, I got to do my set. And it's the exact same person on stage that you were just talking to. Yeah. And that was never me. I, I got on and I was someone sort of smarter, but less interesting than the person I was. I was, and I would like to, to figure out how do I be that same person? I, I think you'll, if you choose to do it and accept this mission, you'll get you me know, spot the laugh factory again. Cause that, that, that helped me a lot. Yeah. Those, those laugh factory spots can be, you know, very forgiving. Um, they're, they're good to do drop in spots, but yeah, you want to do time. You have to work out. You have to work out. I like going away right now for the weekend. I'll do some theaters, but I'll do clubs because nobody's there. Not, I mean, this is sold out, but during COVID, <laughs> no one's there. Or just empty rooms, but you got a feel of the mic. <laughs> when I hard. started, this is what a diligent A student I was. I bought a mic and I just practiced in front of the mic. I didn't even plug in. So like is that Rupert, what you do? Rupert Pupkin. Yeah. You just make yeah, the whole exactly thing. Exactly. In my basement. So yeah, that's I have a podcast. Here, that's but, the same thing. Yeah. Just, just do a podcast to talk to people. But the, the crime is when, when, all of this ends, this, this COVID insanity ends, and then people stop doing their podcasts. You know their, their character. You know, <laughs> I'm giving my, I, I love doing this. I think the I mean, podcast will keep going because people will have places to drive to again, and then you'll listen, you have something to listen to. Yeah, especially if they're all the way to see my show, why not hear me talk? Yeah, get it, get it out of the way. <laughs> then they just turn right around. They already heard everything. Well, BJ, you doing stand-up again would be amazing. But I'm here to tell you that from the moment I met you, you always had a very intense uh, look. Your show uh, on Hulu that I know you promoted it a lot. You went on the press tour. Well, I watched all five of the, them again last night. Oh, wow. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they are you. They, they have a strong element of who you are, and it ain't two-dimensional, you know? Mm -hmm. And you, you always had a premise, and you did. It's so brilliant that that's the name. Because when I met you, you're at Harvard. You tell me to come in and do this show at the Sanders Theater. Scott Wanger, who's a friend who was on yep. Full House, we did a Full House sketch. But that's not... But what Dan Mintz wrote with me. Dan Mintz. Great, great Dan Mintz. Danny Chun, yeah, um, wonderful Bronson. people, yep. yeah. And so you introduced me to the, all these people, and then I called Michael Price. I said, "Holy shit, these guys are geniuses! You've got to just sign them." And he's like, "I made this happen." I went, "Yes, you did. You did." <laughs> he, well, he said, "Do it." You know, he did. Yeah, he did. And um, and I and I his confidence, I find. Not only honest but hilarious because it's it's he's he's a, he's a wonderful yeah. Anyway, so I go there. All of a sudden, I see the sh I'm at the show. I don't know what the show is going to be. You don't show me the rehearsal for the first part of the show, mm. so I don't know what it was. Forty half hour, forty minutes. Of yeah, it was like I think it was an intermission in between. So we did a whole show, and then after intermission was your 
and now, you know, the stuff with Bob. Well, people need to know that the before intermission was like before the crazy people took over an animal house. It was just rah, 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 Harvard, yay, and you got Harvard songs. I don't songs. think it was Harvard, yay. I think... I mean, it, in tone. I don't think I heard those words. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, look, we happened to go there. We were lucky enough and, and hardworking enough to go there. But once we got there, I mean, we just we did want to to just play around and have fun. But there it was, was no, not, it was wasn't no, the hasty pudding. No, it was definitely not. Yeah, the hasty no, pudding. it was funny. It was, it was well written and it was funny, but it was clean. There was no cursing. Is my point. I think I should have said that more succinctly. Well, the show did not go into the uh, PG well, thirteen. Oh, no. Okay, so that was on purpose because we knew that how what you were going to do. We That's what I was trying to say, yeah, 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 but yeah. I didn't go to, to Harvard. DJ, I didn't go to safe. Harvard. I didn't God, how many times is that word going to come up in this interview? Oh, yeah, well, who So much doesn't... more than this. I feel like people are going to think I'm the villain in Goodwill Hunting at this point. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I was very lucky. I did these four years at one of the great hard schools. Yes, yes, yes. Child of privilege, et cetera. But all I care about is what I'm doing. Even that's, anyway. Um, I have a question for you about Harvard. My last question oh my is God. it is it spelled H A R V E R D? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so all I'm saying is you had a premise which was Can we was talk about let, Yale for a goddamn second, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> you had the so premise was it was a series it was a fun, good, intelligent evening until until you I, come on. Until I come on. Yeah, and, and blow the roof off which And then did. it's 2 hours or something. It was a uh, long ass show, ninety more minutes. I think you it, smashed a guitar at one point. I know. I, someone I, smashed a guitar. Someone smashed a guitar. And almost and you did everything. Half. You ran the clip from half baked. You had me with a teenage, a teenage college girl sitting. Let's see, I'm a father. Oh yeah, so, win a date with Bob Saget, right? <laughs> and then we did a full out sketch where Danny Tanner did not know what sex was. Yes, that was a great Dan Mintz premise that. <laughs> Bob Saget, I'm sorry, the Danny Tanner um, <laughs> had to give DJ the talk about sex. And um, Uncle Jesse overheard and realized that Danny didn't know what sex was. And so then, um, then he needed to explain to Danny what sex was. And when Danny Tanner heard about that, he was like, I got to get me some pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it became filthy. <laughs> it was so filthy. And, and he never you, explained how he had three daughters without knowing what sex was. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people uh, don't know how that happened in their lives. Yeah. But it was very but funny. It was um, very funny. And you were Stamos. You played I was Uncle Stamos, Jesse in a leather home. jacket. Yep, to be him. And Scott, I think, played himself. He did. He was Steve. Mm -hmm. And then more happened. I did 20 minutes of stand-up. They yeah. were gassed. Yeah, it was great. And uh, it was just... And then I got to hang out in something we will, will not speak about, which is the Harvard Lampoon uh, Society. That was private. Great. It, I, great. Am I an honorary member for real? Oh, yeah. Holy shit, that's cool. So I can mention that I kind of went to Harvard... I mean, H A R V E R D for life. Right? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So we became friends. And then I said to producer, exec producer Norman Steinberg of a Jonathan Katz show, Raising Dad, uh, that I have a young writer and I want him to be part of it. Yeah. And 
Great learning experience. And you, 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 it was funny to see you doing it because it's not, it wasn't the nature of your natural, of, of where you were. No, I to. was a real punk kid in that writer's room. Um, and they did not like me for good reason. I think by the end, I, I master, I was suspended for three days by Norman for a bad. Norman liked bad, you, by the way. Norman, Norman did like me. And it was a very um, parental move to send me home for the rest of the week because not only was he mad at me, all the writers hated me at that point because <laughs> I didn't know how to behave in a writer's room. I thought if you don't like a pitch, you say, that's, I don't like that. How about this? I thought we were all kind of peers and I didn't realize that there was, well, any human beings have sensitivity, which is something I've had to learn in my life over time. But also I thought this was kind of like a raucous, we're all in this together thing. And, you know, there were egos and there were hierarchies and, I remember the, the line that got me suspended from the writer's room at Raising Dad was I had written a script in which you lose track of your daughter at a, uh, at a party, a wild high school party, played by Kat Dennings. Yeah. And um, you go to the party and you can't see anybody. So you need to crowd surf <laughs> in order to see her, which I do still think was the correct way to go with the script. See, I still haven't let it go. I agree. Well, I agree, by the way. And I yeah. got involved and I so, found out. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. So then um, someone else pitched. No, I think blah, blah, blah. He finds her this way. And then at the end, he crowd surfs. And I said, look, my way is a good plot point. And the other way, all we have is a silly sitcom moment. And Norman took me into his office and he's like, the writers in this room, a lot of us, I'm sorry, we have made careers on silly sitcom moments, you know, and I want you to go home. Don't come in till Monday. I want you to take the rest of the week and think about <laughs> how hard everyone's working and who everybody is. That's so parental. Oh my God. I was terrified because this was, you know, back in the day, this was, you know, a 22 episode order, which the office did too, but I feel like now every show is like 12 episodes, but you have 13 episodes and then you'd have the back nine, right? Which is the rest of the season. And the contracts were only for the first 13. And I was like, oh my God. And I was right to worry. I was like, there's no way I'm coming back for the back nine. And then I'll be the staff writer on Raising Dad who got fired halfway through. And I didn't even have a spec script. I'm dead. I'm dead before I even started. I was terrified. And then I came back on Monday, I brought donuts for everybody <laughs> and show I had learned my lesson. And I made another change, which I've kept to this day, which is that I drink coffee in the morning and there's free coffee in the writer's room. So I would just wait to get the free coffee. But that meant that I was in a grumpy mood for the first 45 minutes before my coffee is kicked in. So I went to the coffee bean on uh, Sunset in Fairfax first. And I'm like, I'm gonna have my coffee before I arrive to work. So I will be a happy, friendly guy as soon as I get there. So th I kept that habit and people noticed the donuts, a little thing like that. They saw that I was humbled and I got picked up for the back nine. Um, and thank God my reputation and career did not fall off the cliff that I thought it would. But yeah, no, I learned a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons on that show. No one well, likes a 21-year-old um, smacking down their silly sitcom moment at two in the morning. A lot of people just don't like a 21-year-old. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, they're not anymore. Yeah. 
that show, as much as we go, well, it's sitcom, it's this, you know, and, and you're here, you are going, I want to do something great. I want right. to do some. Well, the know. only two people that seem to have good lives um, were you and Jonathan Katz. So all these brilliant comedy writers, Chuck Sklar, Bill Masters. Um, really these, good, uh, good people. Yeah, Bill Broadus from Boston. Great. Um, uh, Ed Krasnick. Great. Yeah. I couldn't believe the jokes they could come up with. And yet we're all slumped over our fucking snacks and stuff all day long, all night long. Then you'd fucking jet in in your shiny black Mercedes with sunglasses. You'd sit in the writer's room. Whatever you said, we all had to crack up because <laughs> your ass whether or not it was funny such an um, asshole sometimes it was sometimes it wasn't you know and and then you'd leave and i was like how do i be that guy how do i get to be bob like that's the job you want and then jonathan got to like be on conference calls from boston you know for you know half an hour a week and 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 i was like those are the only two guys to be and those are both performers those are both stand-ups so i gotta i gotta start making a name for myself so people know who i am um, and that was, and also my voice, you know, my pitches didn't get picked up, but that seeing you look cool when everyone else looked miserable was very formative and thinking, I can't be stuck in this room my whole life. I got to make, make a name for myself. And well, it also I've... felt so adventurous. It was so much more fun to like, you know, middle for somebody at the funny bone in Omaha, which was my first road gig than this, you know, quote unquote, you know, glamorous job in a, in a writer's room in the Paramount lot. I found, I found the funny bone way more exciting. Right. Opening for you in Vegas. Which well, we're going to, I, I we'll get to that. just a complete on the raising dad, that show yeah. now, no one could afford how top heavy it was in talent. As far as the cast, goes. an Academy award winner, Brie Larson <laughs> and Jerry she was, Adler, Jerry Adler, Hesh on the Sopranos and, Cat uh, Dennis, Me Megan Good. Megan Good has a has a big Andy line. Kindler. Andy Kindler, My best friend. I know. I love this guy. So this is Jonathan Katz is a dear friend, and he loved you mm -hmm. and loved your family, and yes. knew your dad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he knew your mom. Did he? I hope not. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, I've always known. Yeah, and he just said we want to take care of BJ. It was really a, a parental type thing because you were yeah. so smart anyway. We all knew that. But that show, actually, I loved that show because it was going to be good. That's what I knew. What you didn't know coming in was that there's no chance of something being good if these are the kind of things they're saying. But, you know, I guess. Yeah. But well, it was weird because it was like part of some family-friendly initiative. It had certain sponsors. And so it yeah. sort of had an agenda. We had the writer's room that was capable of a really funny show and people who wanted to make a really funny show, but the sort of the mandate for the show was to be as soft as possible. Right. And so that we always had this tension, I felt. You did really well in England, believe it or not. They ran that one season. And I I don't know why, but I think it was 24 episodes. It was some odd number because okay. the, the WB liked it quite a bit. Yep. Now, Tracy if you... Costa was there, Brett King. There was some good tall Rabinowitz. The execs, I thought, were very good. It she was, was wonderful. Yeah. 
and Jordan running it. Mm-hmm. Those that's you know those days are just different. And right now, especially with so much closing down, I don't know how a lot of people. I don't know how. I mean, you would do the office today, but I don't know how. I mean, it's it's a lot of cash. I think the biggest the biggest challenge in doing a show on the scale of the office today is simply that there's so many opportunities for great cast and writers that you know Craig Robinson would have his own show, Mindy would have her own show, I would be have some overall deal, you know, Mike Sure would be gone. Like all the people that were in the same room in the writers' room and and the cast would never be in the same place for seven years. Right. Um, back then there, you know, there weren't as many opportunities. So um, the good thing about that is people would in a good circumstance consolidate. And that that led to really good things. I mean, the the good thing about where it is now is that there are so many opportunities for different voices to siphon off and, and do interesting experiments and stuff like that. Um, but it does get overwhelming, the amount, even as a viewer, it's like, you know, a, a show is being half recommended to you a thousand times a week, you know. I didn't know until this most recent press tour of yours that you and John Krasinski went to high school together. That's crazy. I, didn't, yeah. I, I had no idea. Newton South, South High. Yeah. Yep. In South High School. And was he in plays? Were you both in stuff? He was in the senior show which I um, wrote with a few friends and Amir Dastani, Dave Mansbach, Emily Porter. And um, we wrote that show and then cast John in one of the lead roles. And that, I, as far as I know, that was the first time he was on stage. Um, Did he have lines or was it like a quiet place where he had to go like this all the time? <laughs> yeah, he got the idea from the senior show too. It was very <laughs> avant-garde for a, a high school performance didn't really work well I'm, I'm all over the place because I have so much I want to say but you're a really good director well thank you um you gave me a lot of um advice and encouragement when I came down to Albuquerque which was where I shot my first feature Vengeance which is not yet but um and you had to stop because of COVID right so Vengeance stop, but then was- we started we started again we did finish it and it's being edited now but um, yes, you whispered to me like, um, like in the graduate, one word, coverage. <laughs> plastic, Get the coverage. Get the coverage. coverage. Whenever we needed more coverage, I'd quote you. I'd say, like Bob said, coverage. It doesn't, it's not the biggest expense to have a second camera there. Mm-hmm. It's just not the problem. If you, unless you think, some people believe that the key to independent films is a wide shot. You know, just. well, it is. It's a trick because it looks so arty, but it also means you only need one setup for your scene. So um, you're saving on time, but then if you watch it and go, "Damn, I wish I did have that one cutaway." Yeah, I mean that's if you care how entertaining your indie film is, which I think a lot of people don't. <laughs> so this movie now, you, uh, I've done it before. I don't like it as much. I like directing or acting. I don't love doing both uh-huh. maybe one day i you know when i'm 88 i'll have a real good facility for it you know pull a clint eastwood and people will be shocked but how did you feel about this this is a movie that you wrote yeah so are you changing pages like writers do as you're about to do them or are you putting it to bed because you've got to act in it you want to be off book you don't want to be 
delaying production, yada, yada. Well, I had um, sort of an acting teacher with me, um, Lee Kilton Smith, who we hired as, a, as an executive producer to keep an eye on all the performances, especially mine, because I was so distracted and I was the lead role. I mean, distracted by different roles um, and my phone. And also to help the other actors if I was to focus on my own performance. So that, to take it really seriously as an actor, that was the part that I was for definitely most intimidated by because um, I'm, I'm less of an experienced actor. Um, you know, I've had small roles for a long time, but uh, I was less of an experienced actor and I, I just felt on firmer footing writing and directing what I had written. I did a lot on The Office. It's, it's intuitive if, you, if you're confident and you know what you wrote. It's just, you know, uh, a friend Al Reddy told me, you only need to know two things to direct, what you want and how to get it. I mean, is there anything more profound than that? So, no. you know, I did feel after directing a lot that I, if I had written it, I knew how to get it, um, how to talk to people, how to ask for help. Um, the acting was what intimidated me. And the real thing was, you know how you see a picture of yourself and you're like, I hate it. I can't look at that picture. I don't know how I don't do that. I was like, what if I get in the editing room? And I'm like, I hate how I look in the shot. And I, I have to use the shot. You could fix it. I, I don't think on a Blumhouse budget, you can fix it. So I was terrified. I was like, what if my ego, what if my self-consciousness um, ruins my directing my own performance? And it, it was fine. I don't know. It was fine. Cause I got to see the shots before. And I'm like, well, that's how I look. What are you going to do? Um, so it was, I like doing it all. And it's funny on the premise, I directed some, I just produced others and I didn't act in them. And you directed three of the five directed two of the five, but yeah, oh. I directed out. Yeah. I directed some, not others. Maybe I see your name in my sleep. Yeah. Uh, my name was all over it because of the guild rules, which I didn't, whatever. We'll get into that another time. But, I just um, like when it's on a credit of yours and it just dissolves and just changes your title above it but you're that's they don't... what that's what i'm talking about it's such a dumb thing to complain about but they don't let you say written and directed you know or just put created the end like the guilds to protect when you have multiple people but when you do it yourself it looks like you're some fucking egomaniac as opposed to just like well this is my show i did it you know it's, it's like the opposite whatever. it's really just for medical look insurance. it's a huge exercise in the ego don't get me wrong but i didn't want to also anyway um but that wasn't our point, what we were talking about. Oh, directing yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting on the premise when I was not acting or directing, I was actually more stressed out because I didn't get to the, the adrenaline of being in it, being sort of putting your all into something can actually right. make it less stressful because you, you have the fumes of excitement all the time. So I liked it. I liked directing myself. Um, I'll see, I'll see how it turns out. I, I, think it would also be very fun to focus on, on, as I did with the premise, I wasn't in it. So I, it, was, it is great to really get to hyper-focus on another actor um, without thinking about your own performance. And it's also nice as an actor to have someone, you know, to only focus on how do you feel in the scene, not have half an eye on when am I turning around and all of that. Is this, yeah. is this a serious movie with some comedy in it, Vengeance, or, or is it a serious movie period? Is it a, you know, Dr dramatic thing. It's like me. You can never tell when I'm kidding. Right. That's what everyone's always told me. So it's, I can because the stare lasts longer. Interesting. Your big eyes. You could have That's been a silent tell. film star. You That's have, you have those silent film eyes. I've know? Robert Klein told me that. Um, <laughs> is that true? That great show. Is that true? 
He did tell me that. But that what's your great joke about name dropping? Yeah, and people have stolen it. I don't know why. Uh, name dropping is not a good thing to do. Robert De Niro told me that. And and we were fist bumping yeah. it all night in Tribeca. That I always like that part for no reason. Because mm-hmm. he yeah. doesn't fist bump. I mean, that's what's... Yeah, I could. Mm, I don't think Robert De Niro fist bumps. You'd have yeah, to... The first time... Yeah. No, you. It's your podcast. Not really. I'm going to take my name off it. It's just going to dissolve into your They'll name. They'll say it by BJ Novak, BJ Novak, BJ Novak. Um, <laughs> just to trigger Andy Kindler, I think. Um, I can't believe this guy has so many credits. I don't even have one. Oh, that's the that's the only the beginning. <laughs> Wait, what were we on? We um, were on directing yourself, but I think... Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, so Vengeance is, um, you know, it's it's a comedy... It's a lot of like a lot of things I do. It starts with the comedy and then you think, well, how do I play it as realistically as possible? To me, that's what the office was. That's what the premise was. It's what I always, always try to do. So, you know, it started with sort of a dark comic premise and then it takes a winding path. Issa Rae is in it. Ashton Kutcher is amazing in it. Um, Jay Smith Cameron, Boyd Holbrook. Um, so, and all of these actors are people that know, they, they intuitively knew that line. You know, they know it's funnier when you play it straight. Right. And that is kind of the key, actually, to the office, in a way. Yeah. It's that dry, that Ricky Gervais set the palette. But yeah. then it was, and it was really interesting. I watched an interview with you because I did. And I also like uh, uh, Jamie Wax over at CBS this morning. He did a cool segment on you, which it was enjoyable because you, you showed the vulnerable side of yourself, which, you know, people don't know you uh that way you know they see a, a yes. young person who is especially a cast member of the office which yeah. is that it's a new but they invented in england that was doubly done uh beautifully here i'm not saying better i'm just saying they, they did it they pulled yeah. it off something that's impossible yeah. which is what you were saying you were hesitant about how are they going to do that um yeah. but they got the talent and the idea is to just say things and stay, you're not cracking up, you know? Yeah. It's not about breaking, it's just... Well, it's interesting, Ricky Gervais's advice to us, one of the only pieces of advice he gave before just taking his paycheck, uh, was, um, which he's the first to say, was try to make each other break. And so that that advice, I think, is leads to the tension that you see. When you're trying to make each other break so bad, and yet you can't, I mean, that's a great compass for the comedy is outrageous, but you're playing it straight, you know? And that's, that was, I think the key to that, the secret weapon of that show. And that was directly from the British. And it's almost like a stare down contest with your best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that is nothing. And it also makes you close to that performer. Yeah. There's something about it. They're letting you in on something and you're going, wow, they're strong. How could they not laugh at this person playing with their man boobs? Um, I'm talking specifically about Chris Pratt. I'm really not. Um, right. I was like, I don't remember that scene, but sure. That's how I interpreted all of his performances. And then when he got all cut and buff, it just right. makes me want to send me to the gym. I mean, he is one spectacular piece of man meat. Yeah. I mean, that's... You said it. Now, I don't like to talk about these things because it sounds like it's on the edge. People are sensitive to all this. But was there any point where you just 
you just couldn't get them out of your head. You just thought about them all the time. Chris Pratt, man yeah. boobs? Um, not, not man boobs, not man boobs. His, his pecs. Um, just, no, just him in general. Just what a, a sweet. Uh, no, I think this is maybe your thing. Right. Um, I admire him a lot, especially as a comedic actor. I agree that he's he's attractive, but I think this is this no. Is that's your, all I needed from you. No, that's all I wanted. This that, is your that, I'm gonna weave that. Into I get something. it. I get it. I I'm not kink shaming anyone here. I'm right. saying I get it, and I'm different. Yeah. You you are, and I'm just gonna use it as a soundbite for a rap song. It's I'll, I'll talk to you about that separately. Great. Yeah, I'm the guy to go to when you have <laughs> a song idea. You. God, I'm so happy to talk to you. This has been this has been a rough time for everybody this time. Yeah. No yeah. matter where you fit on the food chain of life. Yeah. How's how how do you you just carry on with your life, right? You just do less social stuff, do you find yourself? Well, you know, it's interesting. I I had to work so hard on the premise and the movie during COVID that I felt like I didn't get to experience it. I know that seems like a weird thing to say. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think it was mainly suffering for people, but there was a collective feeling that we're all going through this and we're gonna, you know, smoke extra weed and wear sweatpants and, you know, turn to each other. And I was like, go away, I need to write, write, write. And so now at least I get to, to join the world, even though it's in a sadder moment. I mean, thank God I don't have to actually suffer from it or lose anyone or anything but um it, it sounds i don't know how this sounds i don't know how this whole interview sounds bob no um, this sounds fine you, but, people that are in movies and television or going about their corporate world and have to go to meetings and they're not just on a zoom yeah. are are existing and they're kind of in a bubble yeah i don't mean to say it's like a snow day that i missed out on but you know it is it's like a depressed snow day at least i get to know what what it feels like i don't know I, I don't like how this sounds, but um, it's the truth, so. Well, I could take it out if you want. Yeah. That's a separate subject. I meant, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I could take it out, you know, like if I was looking at a picture. That a threat? Chris Pratt. Yeah, that's a real threat. That's, that's the pull quote. I can take it out. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you something, and it's a compliment. Um, I'm joking around. I'm trying to say stupid shit. Some of it hits, some of it doesn't. That's my life. And my problem, you, I, I, I'm telling you, I, after watching, I, I want people, if they haven't seen it from your show from, it's really this year, but last year, the premise, <laughs> um, it's damn serious uh, sometimes. Yeah, it's sometimes. hilarious. It's all a premise, each one, which is what is writing. Mm -hmm. And it really affected me because... And, and I even read somebody saying something about it. I'm like, oh, stop reading people. They don't know how to hold a camera or act or write or anything. They just know how to say something mean. And then I read really lovely stuff about it. And I'm, why am I reading that? My takeaway was I just, everyone was so different, BJ. Mm -hmm. Everyone, and it got so serious. And it was about relevant things that we think about, but your own particular spin. I mean, to do a thing that you think is about, it is about gun control. Right. Um, it's very, very. Well, that was cool. You know, that premise that John Bernthal played the lead in is having such a great moment. But 
for him to play because he's so known for the Punisher and and you know very macho and gun heavy stuff for him to play a, a father who lost a kid to a school shooting and then join the NRA under a pretense for revenge. I mean, it it was such a challenge to throw to an actor. And that's what excited me. I think about all these premises. I didn't think of them as watch my great premise. Um, well, some of that, of course, but I think the real thing was, can we pull it off? And can an actor play this tension or Daniel Day Kim in, um, in Butt Plug? You know, here's a, a billionaire who asks someone, uh, bring me a butt plug that can change the world. And the guy's like, I, I will do this if you're serious, I'm gonna take this seriously. Sort of the deadpan seriousness and yet the panache of, of this offer, you really need great actors for this stuff. And so to me, that was, um, that was the, the joy and the, and the challenge of that show was okay, you got a premise. These are, these are good premises, but SNL also has a hundred good premises, you know, right. a week pitched to them. So how do you make something that, that someone can elevate to, to art? And I think those actors did. All the actors did, but- those Casting, those every bit of casting in all of them was fantastic. But the butt plug episode, um, yeah. just for people to not, I, and it's a hard one not to spoil alert because you want to, but I won't because this thing's still right out there. It's on FX Hulu. Which yeah. is, I don't know. If, oh, it's like two months old. I mean, it's still a, a current show. I know, but when we, when we texted about it, it's like, well, you know, I don't know. It's oh, like, I just meant don't feel that we need to plug it. That's all. Oh, no, I wanted like, to. I've just plugged it, I, but it's not like. You don't want me to butt plug it. Correct. See, correct. that's where I have Given no use. That's where I have no use in comedy, what I just did. Yeah. No, I just meant like, don't feel this needs to be a favor to like, I need to promote the show. We can just talk. I don't, I don't. The favor is you doing my podcast. Okay, great. Well, that we finally get to talk. I mean, anyway, I, I won't relive, relive. Well, but I will I, say, I, I do want to Thanksgiving, that goes a long way. Oh, okay. okay, okay, well, let's get off the butt plug, but I do recommend. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, the butt people, plug one, People watch that episode because it, all of the show is also, all five episodes, oddly enough, is about revenge, yeah. uh, the world we're in virally and, and how screwed up we are on our phones and in our world. And I love that it was tackled in almost every episode somehow yeah. is there. And, and is revenge worth it? Is vengeance worth it? Can we mm -hmm. go to a higher place as a person? Mm -hmm. These are old as humanity premises. And mm -hmm. that's what I respect the most out of this. And I hope you do uh, another handful of them, whatever you. you want to do. Yeah. It's really, really, really good. Okay, so Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that was the one year I couldn't, uh, I couldn't come home for Thanksgiving. I forget why. Maybe it was just expensive or something. But, um, but you brought me in, and but you couldn't resist telling me that Rodney Dangerfield had been there the previous year. So I was like, I still have to follow a, a legendary comic. Um, but it was wonderful. He's such a, a tasteful house for such a crass man. No, but um, but you, you do have a beautiful, beautiful home. Oh, um, thank you. And family. Yeah, I'm very, very fortunate. I have a pretty amazing daughters that, you know, it's so weird that people think. It's so funny. They're Stephanie they, and Michelle, as you always say. Right? No. Yeah. 
It's I've gotten in so much trouble over jokes. Andrea Barber was on. Candace was on. Anyway, all right. Okay. These are your family. They're, they're your, they've been your family longer than I have. I get it. I get it. No, no, that's not it. It's, it, you I'm, know, it was all I'm, about ratings. I mean, you really needed to cast. When you put thanks. the premise on, it's about just getting algorithms, BJ. Friendship is not as important as algorithms. I see. Well, that's really an insult to injury, isn't it? <laughs> but we, but sorry, our friendship you, you is... rate this, so low, BJ. I can't. <laughs> These numbers, they show me these numbers. No one would listen. No one BJ, would I wanted to have you on because I Dr. love you so much. Frank but the Jones of anyway. BJ, you're 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 a, I don't want to say star, but you are. You've been the things you've chosen to do are things that are some of the better things that have gotten made. I mean, how did Inglorious Bastards come about? You've been asked a zillion times, but I mean Quentin Tarantino saw you on The Office and just said, I want this guy to be here. Um, I auditioned for that. He he was familiar with The Office, but um, no, I, I got an audition and call back. It was very sort of the traditional route. And then the same thing with um, the founder that that you'd already that was the an founder. I, I had worked with um, John Lee Hancock in Saving Mr. Banks, and then he he thought of me for the founder. And how did Saving Mr. Banks happen where you're all of a sudden in, in this, uh, and you were great in that. Thanks. I was Jason Schwartzman's brother. Yeah. Of, um, of Mary Poppins. Um, black and white that, is very flattering on you. The what? But black and white is very flattering on you. It was not black and white, but I guess I, my, I, my eyes didn't pop. Do you know, I didn't, ha I knew something was wrong with the set when I watched it. <laughs> it was, um, but it had that old fashioned um, gloss to it. You know, the um, anamorphic lens and everything. Um, that, I, you know. kids with your Harvard education know the difference between color and black and white. <laughs> I was like, you've directed Bob, you must know more than coverage. Um, something about <laughs> choices here. So, uh, no, isn't it, isn't it comforting to do a podcast and you know that all that has to be edited out is the host's comments? <laughs> you can just make it a monologue. <laughs> and then the Smurfs came about, and it, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Had they seen your blue period? Um, the blue yeah. number. Nice reference. So you love acting, but writing, you would say, is the thing that you love. Yeah, Woody Allen once said, "If you, if you shook me in the middle of the night and said, what do you do?'" He he blurt out, "I'm a writer." I feel the same way. That reference has ulterior meanings. It, it, this world is off. Well, he said it up. to a, an eleven year old girl, but still. Right. Yeah. But um, but it was it was just a neighbor kid. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, mm -hmm. We've somehow got to get Woody to listen to this podcast just for that, because I'm sure it would bring him joy. A relatively trivial joke about a serious subject. I don't know. I don't either. What he's been waiting for. So Thanksgiving at my home. Um, it was really nice to have you there. It was because uh, I did feel... I feel like we're related. I always oh, yeah. have. Um, you gave me, I asked for a Jewish blessing at my at my 40th birthday party, which you you did. Um, yeah, as my show business father. Yeah. No, I, I <laughs> we've always I've always felt that way. As as I, I do too. Too. And I do as well. 
and and then you know, it's just interesting to me that you're even thinking about stand up again. To even think about it is fascinating because you could be if it's it's a lot of work to build it, but you could be out touring. You you are in line with the kind of in, there's a huge wonderful intelligentsia out there um, in your age range uh, that are doing stand-up that are bringing a lot of people in their 20s that want to be educated and want to hear smartness and don't just want to hear sensationalism or you know screaming at them are you ready to have a good time you know that kind of crap well that's what I was planning though for my act <laughs> now I had you open for me in Vegas um, at the House of Blues I believe yeah, and uh, is this? I guess we might as well share. We've said some taboo things here and there. Yeah. Um, well, my whole act was taboo. This sort of, um, <laughs> um, as was yours, you know, in a previous phase, which it was sort of, at least for me, and I think for you too, in a way, the the understood premise was: what if I got on stage and said this? Like, obviously, this is not the right thing to say. Right. Um, and I think people got it then. I think the times are different now. So you do different things now. But in context, then that was an understood backdrop for what you were doing. So you can you can explain the rest. By the way, my agent, I had my agent MC. Do you remember Mark Provisero? I do. And I love him. And yeah. he, he makes... Uh... Pen 15, which is Fred fantastic. Yeah. Producer. But I gave him, I was like, I have a joke for you, <laughs> which is um, I told BJ, um, he's always got to give 110%. And he said, that's a very high commission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. But he was great. He was a real ham. And then I uh, featured for you. So I did like 25. And you were great. It was, I was really great until. Well, I suggested that you did a, do a joke. That you I insisted. You brought me out. So I had to do, I felt obliged to make you happy. You were the boss. You know, we were friends, but you were, you were the headliner. So I didn't look at myself as the boss. I look you, at myself as you were the headliner. You were the headliner. I didn't you think requested. I was throwing you under the and bus. I admired you. Okay. Even as a friend, you brought me out. You're like, Hey, you got to do that joke. You had a favorite joke of mine. And I guess we should say it. It's, it's inappropriate because that's, but still, I have to validate when I do comedy now that I'm saying this because I know it's wrong. And right. That's why right. the joke exists. Right. Do you so feel comfortable? I, uh, yeah, I, I can tell what it was. And I hope this is what you put on Twitter with no context. We need a new Hitler. Let me explain. A Hitler, nothing like the old Hitler. The old Hitler was a monster, a genocidal maniac. I'm talking about a new Hitler. Hitler wants to improve our schools. A Hitler who wants health care. A Hitler who's not afraid to tell the truth about the problems that we face. And if this Hitler had a couple ideas on the Jewish problem, I don't know why we wouldn't hear him out. Um, anyway, so this joke in sort of alternative, alternative comedy clubs in LA did very well. Everyone got the joke, the commentary, the irony, the shock value, all, all of these things made sense to an audience that came to a show to um, be stimulated in this way. And you understood, they they understood that you hated Hitler. I mean, there's nothing, right. right. 
Right. They understood that looking at my face. I imagine they would have a guess that I might not be a fan of Hitler. Right. So, <laughs> or him, <laughs> Hitler and Kindler, my two. Um, anyway, um, the two that don't like me. Um, so here I am in Vegas um, at the House of Blues, which is not the same vibe. No. And here I am with my one liners actually doing great. I'm having a great show. They're vibing me. They're like, I like this guy. And I look and I see you off stage smiling. And I'm like, here we go. (laughs) Got to do the joke Bob wants. And the, the drop in the room from joke, joke, joke. (laughs) So we need a new Hitler. (laughs) They were like, I read this guy all wrong. (laughs) He was warming us up for this. The drop in the room in the energy, except for one guy, Bob Saget, who is losing it hysterically. I was standing in the wings, just pounding on a monitor, laughing so hard. And that did get me through because I, hey, you make one guy happy. In a way, it's all worth it. And it became a great story for us. But And you got on the microphone and you went, Bob told me to do that. Thank you, Bob Saget, for that joke. Yeah. Well, the good news is that was a, a kinder, gentler time because the fact that that offended them. It's a good point. Meant that maybe they were anti-Hitler, whereas now you might get a few, woo, you know. Yes, I think you would. I think that's a great point, that it felt safe making jokes like that then because it felt so obvious that anyone in their right mind would have certain points of view. And now it feels like everything is chaotic. And they people take those wor- words matter, and they take that literally, right? And which, also, yeah, it just means we've lost sarcasm, facetiousness, satire. All well, those. also, there's there's not a common thing to make fun of, and and so you know anything, any political position, and sorry, any position you take on anything, people feel well. What's the side that the person who said that is on? Because I'm on the other side, so it feels like if I say an anti-Hitler joke there is an impulse to be like, oh, I think he's on that side of the aisle. So what's the con to what is he really saying that I disagree with? Instead of like, hey, we're all human beings. We all don't like Hitler, for example, you know, whatever. Um, It's like, what are you saying about Charlottesville? Because I think that, you know, hey, dude, 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 like (laughs) we gotta have some shared premises. I'm not trying to make a political point, you know? And it honestly, you say like up, up is up. And someone's like, oh, well, like maybe to you, you know, it, uh, you don't, you, everyone is forced into a political context, right? Yeah. It's just sad that the enemy of comedy is analyzing it. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's always true. Some of my, yeah, I was going to say it's not having gone to Temple University in Philadelphia, not Harvard. Oh my God, Bob, we need to bleep that word out on this show. Temple University? Yes, it's such a bad school. But I went to film school there. You won an Oscar. Um, Student Oscar. Student Oscar. At Acne. Um, yeah. And then you got a trophy at Harvard, which I never got a tr- I got a diploma. I didn't get a trophy. Wait, but you got you got a lot of stuff. You won the SAG Ensemble Award. You're looking at your Wikipedia. I'm looking right at notes right here, man. And and uh, WGA comedy series. Big old writer. Sure. sure. Famous I rode the wave. I rode the wave. I was part of a great show. Do you have statuettes? Do you have a couple of them in the home? 
Yes, I do. And then I also, the cast of Inglorious Bastards won, but I wasn't credited. I was at a shared card. Do you know about this? So like there's some SAG wow. rule that the ensemble, whatever, they gave me a trophy on stage. And then SAG called Michael Price constantly. And they're like, BJ did not earn that trophy. He did not have a single card. And I was like, okay, look, honestly, I don't care very much about a green SAG award for ensemble, like whatever. I was part of a great movie, I didn't, whatever. Um, I don't need the trophy, but they were like obsessed. When are we getting the trophy back? When? Like, who cares? A guy who was in the movie was given one of fucking 12 green guys. I don't need it, okay. Like you can have it back, but isn't that interesting? They like it was. They were so rule oriented. But yes, now I have two. <laughs> so <laughs> for a second, I had three. Like it means anything, especially for. So they did like take that. it back. You actually had to give it back. I had to give it back. Did someone come to the house to pick it up? I don't remember. I couldn't have mailed it. It's so heavy. I would have thought Michael would have just gone in there. And Michael just... probably sued them. <laughs> um, but um. My favorite no, thing working with Michael years for years was when Michael got angry with righteous indignation. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think Michael probably did fight it, but um, I don't care. I don't, I don't follow who wins awards. Maybe if I won more, I would, but, um, but no, I, I really like, I, I, I always remind this to people because we know a lot of people who really get, get upset over who wins an award and when, when they get nominated and not. And, yeah. You know, could you name who was nominated for best comedy TV series last year? I could name a series and say it won, or can, can you believe that one? Can you believe that wasn't even nominated? I wouldn't know the difference. And that's my job is right. TV comedy writer. And, and so I think nobody knows. They know if it's your favorite show. If you say Righteous Gemstones is my favorite show, that's all that should matter is making somebody's favorite thing. Correct. That's all that should matter. That's all that lasts. That's all that lasts. The other thing that lasts is when they put it in your obit. The money. The money or the, well, there, it, it does upscale your money because people yeah. respond to it. Or you can say, you know, uh, Emmy nominated, you know, every year for his work on, yeah. you know, it's that stuff. No, I agree. I agree. It's a status thing, but it doesn't, and it's good to have more status and it's good to have more money. And I would gladly take it. Um, of course, but it's the work. It's feel, always, it's always been about the, it. Right. I think is, is missing the point. It really is. Although you have a couple of nice trophies behind you. No, that the thing there is Rodney Dangerfield. That is, uh, that was awarded to me, um, by his widow, by, uh, the UCLA brain trauma, brain surgery center. Uh, because that's where he lost his life, and I was there as he was in intensive care. And so they honored me one night um, with that. It's incredibly heavy. It's heavier but than the award. Doesn't that mean so much more than some committee of people, you know, giving no. you for no, no. You'd rather you take the no. Emmy? I, think, I, I love Rodney. Uh, I, I know. I, I think know. that Rodney, I don't know. I think Rodney's family honoring you for something that you did from the heart. Now right. that, that is something, that is something. I think that you had two lines in a, a movie that was brilliant. I don't think that deserves a trophy that you care about, you know? Whereas no, I no, I, I, I don't, 
it's nice. You know, it's nice when people, it, it, it's all separate. It's all compartmentalized to, to get recognized by your peers or for people to like your work. When you meet people and they go, oh, my God, I'm so happy to meet you. You're so talented and, and you really look up to them. You love their work. Mm-hmm. That's a nice feeling that someone that you respect that feels good. But it doesn't change your life. It doesn't send your ego into overdrive where you're, you go home and it's like, wow, my whole life's better now. Right. It's nice to make a friend out of it if you make a, a, a friend of kindred spirits which yeah. you've, you've done before. Yeah. I think we all, something's wrong with you if you do, if you can bond on a set enough to make something and you don't keep in touch with anybody. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah, people do do that. People do, maybe Daniel Day-Lewis does it. He's like, that Abe Lincoln was on set, I wasn't. But I'm not not that level of artist. Well, he retired, so. And then he keeps coming back. But I have a pair of shoes he made, they're pretty good. Sent them back. Was it only cool? Was to have was it only the left foot? Nice. That is that is a great response. I was gonna say what how much that would be a cool thing to have. A pair of shoes cobbled by Dylan Day Lewis from when he was a cobbler for six months. Right. Or Harrison Ford was a carpenter to have like a chest of drawers. <laughs> you just collect a house. Here's a Martin Banjo. It's like all these famous people with their like side hustle that's your that's your house or how they started i was a deli clerk i got like frozen bologna sandwich made by bob saget yeah (laughs) do you know that your dad william wrote that book which is you know you know that okay so i don't have to ask um you know your dad exposing all of this nepotism in my past do you know your dad my dad and do you know your father i do i do um, I like your parents. I met your parents, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're family. I mean, that's like, that doesn't happen very often. I mean, how often do your parents meet people? Uh, they're a little antisocial. My mom doesn't fly. So you're right. It's not that common. And they're smart. And your dad wrote the book that my dad gave me. Your, your dad edited the book, right? The, the, the book of Jewish humor? Yeah. I have it. It's the hardback. And it's mm-hmm. it's oh. uh, it's an amazing looking thing. It looks religious, actually. Yeah, well, that it's meant to. It's meant to be designed to look like the Talmud, but be a comedy. It's a great book. It's a great and formative book for me. So many of those stories are like, wow. There's brand new versions of that right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're they, very classic, and they aren't making fun of people that much. That it's interesting. Well, I, it's very much punching up. You know, it's very much like. The Jewish comedy was really formed in Europe when Jews were so marginalized and, and um, you know, so many rules and ghettos and et cetera, that, you know, the folly of you know, the bully and the rich man was sort of the Jews only way to have some dignity was, you know, we're, we're the real winners. Cause look at this guy, you know, so the, it's very punching up, very underdog comedy, very outsmarting the bully comedy, very funny. I mean that, and that is a classic, you know, classic form of comedy. You know? It also has a dignity to it at a time where mm-hmm. uh, Jewish people were always, they, a lot of punching down by the world. Um, thank goodness it stopped. <laughs> we need a new Hitler. 
Oh, that's that's going to be. I think you're open with that when you come back and do stand up. And I close. Think, I think you're right. You're right. In summary, I uh, I've been doing as I was saying. So yeah. what would you do? Would you go up in clubs? Would you start doing that? You're very busy. I mean, you're about to you're finishing your I'm like you're scared of the competition, Bob. I feel like you're trying to talk me out of this. You're just so damn smart and I'm worried about the Hitler joke. Um I um what would I do? I you know, I would write and, and test it out, you know. Do you have time to do that? Aren't you about to go to work? Do you, do you have more premises to do? What's What's next for BJ? I sound like, uh, oh God, Martin. Well, Harris. look, I'll, I'll always be, hopefully. Well, I guess even if they don't make it or publish it, I'll always be writing. That's just who I am, you know? But I get to do a lot of other things too, which is very lucky. And I think helps my writing as well. The more experiences you have, the more perspectives you have. But it's always learning. You need to look at everything. As, um, you know, I used to, as I would say, Mac, I used to waste so much time on regret, so much time, so much time. <laughs> um, but yes, I did used to waste so much time on regret. And um, my brother, Jesse, told me like, hey, maybe that was a mistake. You can't you focus on the next one. Yeah. And you keep moving. So I beat myself up over everything. Mistakes I made on the premise, mistakes I made in the office, mistakes I made on punked. You know, I would, or Conan, my earliest things, I would look in the middle of the night, wake up. Why didn't I say that? Why did I stop myself from this? You know, and it's true. I probably, that would have been a better joke. That would have been a smarter move. That's, you know, regret is perfectionism plus time. You can't, you just have to keep moving and and take it as a lesson for the next thing. It's, and I mean, stand-up is all about that. Yeah, you know? it's and next yeah, you were mentioning being on Johnny Carson show, and I was during commercial. Uh, we were having a discussion, and I thought it was a good audience. And he goes, "Sorry about the audience tonight." And I went, uh -huh. "No, no, they're great." He goes, "No, you deserved more than you got. You were great." And I went, "Thank you so much." And then I went, well, "What do you, what do you do when it's a bad audience?" And he looked at me and he went, "There's always tomorrow." Nice. So that was that little Yoda moment. Well, he also was the most famous um, uh, bomber because he would just turn around a bomb and get the audience back on his side. Made it an art form. He took yeah. the people that he looked up to the most, which would be, well, he loved Red Skelton, but he loved... Um, Prior, they say. Very, very much. Prior and Rickles, right? Yeah, very much. But the people that he looked looked up to that he was starting out watching. Oh, I got it. Were like Red Skelton and Jackie Gleason. And, you know, he would drink something and he'd go, well, you know, that was Jackie Gleason. You know, he would do impressions of, of an homage to people that he liked. And he was just um, one of the few people in a time where he could have been all sarcastic, even though that wasn't the the way people rolled that time for so long. And he had 40% of the audience watching him. He just tried to, even if he was never going to have that guest back, he tried to make them look great mm -hmm. for that time. And that's something that we see it a few times. There's a few people that do that now. Who does that best, do you think? I think uh, Jimmy Kimmel won't leave. Well, Jimmy Fallon does ingratiate no matter what. He's a mm -hmm. cheerleader to make you happy. 
and, and make you feel great about yourself um, and, and make everybody, make it a party. Yeah. Um, but I, I think um, Kimmel won't let you, won't have a negative sparring match with you unless you're doing it with him, and then he's doing it cheerily out of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this, everybody's good. You know? Everybody's Because if they weren't, they wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah. Being yeah. gracious is, is so important to the audience enjoying it, right? You've changed. You've grown up so good. That's a that's not well to raised, not well. to sound condescending. Well raised. I'm, I'm just well, 65. I, who's going to raise dad? Hey, maybe it's time for a reboot, Bob. I think it's going to be gonna simple. Are we going to reboot raising dad? Cat Dennings and Brie Larson are dying to play my daughters. Yes. I think we'll we'll get that cast together for sure. I can't do it. I'm not in the Marvel universe. It ain't going to happen. And are clamoring. Andy Kindler, his fan base, they are oh, going. Yeah. They're I'll dying right for it. <laughs> is there anything you want to wanted to discuss that's not that just is on your mind at the moment? I mean, we're coming off of a year. You're a deep thinker. Um, you just are. You're a compassionate person. You have a, you have a huge heart. You and you're and let's you're talk smart. more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you do, and uh, that's that's what. I knew it right away, and that's what people can see in your eyes. That's what the eye thing is. That's why uh, Robert silent Klein movie. told you you'd be a good silent film star. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're so smart. Now shut the fuck up. Here's <laughs> a guy that's entire living is verbal. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I would like that. I'd like to shut the fuck up for a bit. Um, well, yeah. Um, what else should we... Well, yeah. the, the, what Last I was, was what I was getting toward was, yeah. do you, is there is there you're, you're holding a mirror up with the work you've been doing uh, on your own? You and always with have. The Zoom screen. I'm sorry. And with the Zoom screen. Zoom is like there's you know, next time you're on this podcast, you know, which will be whenever you want. It's an yeah. open invitation. Twenty sixty five. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll it'll be a good one. It won't be Zoom. It'll Can be. Can we do some, next week? Yes. Isn't I'll do it good for you. Yeah, I'll be hopefully on vacation if I don't test negative. Oh no, I do. Oh darn it, I want COVID. Why did I say that? Yeah, I gave away my secret. Yeah, you want to get out of a trip with your family so bad that you infect yourself. That's a funny plot. As for the raising dad reboot, <laughs> <laughs> that's the opening of it. And yeah. I, I crowd surf to tell my kid that. Yep. So do. You, I would think you'd have desire, and you've done it. You affected me emotionally with a couple of those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, your acting's always true to form. You know, you're a very sympathetic character as an actor, but as a writer, do you have, and as a director, do you? I mean, do you have desire to tell a love story? Do you want to do a, a romantic comedy of sorts? Do you want to do something historical? Or is there something you can tell us about that someone could steal the premise for? And then they would beat you to it. Um, I I would really love to just try to make things that are original. So many things, aside from the Raising Dad reboot, so many things are um, <laughs> are you know re rehashes. And I guess in a way, those are classic stories. I don't know what I want to do, Bob. I think um, I want to do you know my my favorite form of writing ever was when I was in you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And I would write funny things in class and I would slide them over 
to my friends and just watch their faces and see if they laughed. That to me is the purest form of writing. It's writing for, for your peers, for the kids sitting next to you, see right. if, you know, you can make them laugh. And what I want to do, whether it's comedy or not, is write something that the kid sitting next to me, as it were, is like, thank you. This is fun. So whether that's something romantic or, or funny or, um, you know, dramatic or whatever. It might, it might, I have a feeling it might be all of the above. I just don't ever want to write for the teacher, you know? And I feel like a lot of people in our business, they want the award. They want the acclaim. They want to shoot only a master shot in their indie film. So critics think it was so elegant and spare and audiences think, you know, get me out of this theater. Um, I, so I wanted, I wanted to write for the kids sitting next to me and, and challenge myself always to make something that people really like. And they're like, thanks, man. Cause that was my value. I felt as a kid and why I always worked so hard at writing in particular is I felt I wasn't a popular kid in particular. I wasn't bullied either, but I wasn't, wasn't a popular kid, but my entree when I wrote the senior show in high school, that was the coolest I ever was. A kid came up to me in the cafeteria and said, they say you're the one to write the senior show. And I was like, oh my God, I will serve the, the populace. I will, I, this is my role. I got to deliver. The popular kids want me to write something for them and I got to do it. And, you know, and so to me, that was always my calling in a sense is this is where I can add value and so for me, that's whatever I do, I want people to be like, oh, I'm so glad BJ made a show because I like it, you know, or a movie. So just whatever that is, I always want to challenge myself to not sell out in terms of credibility and make something that might get praised or might seem important or whatever. Um, it's just always, and I think The Office, you know, which was not my show, it was Greg Daniels' show, but, you know, that show delivered that was funny and it was romantic and it wasn't for the critics. And it, it won a couple things, it didn't win much. Now it's considered, you know, a really great show of the past 10, 20 years, but um, it, it didn't win very much. It was just funny. So that's what I wanna do, uh, Bob. I wanna do stuff that people are grateful for that doesn't win awards, honestly. I think you're gonna have a lot of things happen that are gonna be delightful surprises and they'll be nice accolades, but I, didn't, I know you're gonna be able to make that one person laugh, but multitudes. It'll be I, you, I, you in the wings. I will so laugh Hanging a monitor. all the time. You know, that's what Twitter started out to be. I, I was so excited when it started because I was like, oh, I'll do this. Oh, a kid, he's 16. He's walking to his car. I'm going to write a joke about my penis. And it's nothing too dirty. It's just a silly little dick joke. And the guy laughs, starts his car, and goes home. And that's not what it is now. Mm -hmm. It's turned into a... a a, a UFC match. Yeah. So. No, it is. Um, it's a dangerous place. I have it a friend is. who just joined. She's like, should I get on Twitter? I was like, that's like asking, should I start smoking? <laughs> like, stay away. <laughs> We're all addicted. <laughs> well, BJ, I just, I just love you so much. Likewise. Um, thanks for giving us a chance to talk. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. And I can't wait to get all your notes of all the things I'm going to remove. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't month, think there's like going to be much. Long. I did want to say something that I read. Oh no, length is nothing is nothing in my home because my wife is you know she took a bullet. Uh, 
this is, I'm not saying it's size of a bullet, but I am saying that the book with no pictures mm-hmm. is awesome. And when you did it, it's I, it was written for your level, Bob. It is the non Harvard type of man. Uh, it is, it is really brilliant. It's, um, and I was so happy that it, look, I, there you go. There's success. Bestseller list for a long time. Yeah. How long was it up there? Uh, still there. It was number one for 34 weeks, which is amazing. And the funnest thing about that is it's, it's technically in the picture book category because for the age group, et cetera. So New York times picture books, number one, the book with no pictures. It it's feels so, so great. You know? It's like, yeah, even a kid would get that. That's funny, but that, you know, that's a perfect example of, I think what I've most want to do, which is I wrote that to crack a five-year-old up. You know, I did not think, Oh, what would sell? Well, what right. would Caldecott? I'm like, what's a book that a fucking five-year-old would find fucking hilarious. Right. You know, And I just, I wrote for a kid and I think that's, that's, you know, that's the way. That's the way. And then in the sequel uh, that you did in 2019, I love that because you let them fill in the blanks. You're getting them to be creative. Exactly. No work for me. Right. You're no, that's really, you wrote even less. It's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. No pictures and half the words. Um, well, thank you, Bob. I'm I glad love I got you. you. Uh, Happy New Year. And uh, let's see each other really soon. At right, right, like soon, like right after. Yeah, if you still want to be infected, let's go run out to Miami. For I will have already gone on a vacation <laughs> right before this moment right. um, where I probably means I probably have it right now. Okay, great. I don't I'm now. I'm glad I'm glad I want to yeah. Well, take care. Give my love okay, to everybody that right. uh, you know that likes me. Yep. I'll call my call right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Bob. Bye. Love you, love you BJ. Bye. That is BJ Novak. He never said the word Harvard. I did it. It's all my fault. He didn't even go there. He went to a mail order school. Uh, he was homeschooled. BJ Novak um, is uh, one of my favorite people. And I do want to apologize for not having him on the podcast sooner. It's my fault. (laughs) Everything's my fault, literally. He's one of the smartest and funniest people I know. And um, and just watch all things BJ as they unfold because he is an artist and a writer. And you know what he is. You just listen to the podcast. So that's that's my buddy. I'm older than him. It's so weird to me because I don't feel it when I talk to him. And yet when I go back through the history, I forget that I kind of parented him. I said, hey, I'm going to be like a dad you. Let's go to the spider club. Spider room? I don't know what it was, but it ain't there no more. Anyway, um, wishing you guys a really happy new year. Happy 2022. Please stay healthy. Do what you can. Um, even if you don't believe in certain scientific things, just do them. You know, don't do what Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde did. That, you know, poor... Dr. Jekyll drank that shit and turned into a hairy beast. Don't do that. But if but if you have any part of you that's willing to get a vaccine, I would just get it. I'm telling you, I get 10 to 20 a day. If It's always good to turn somebody off at the end of the podcast. Um, but I don't think it's anything. It's, it ain't political, people. It's just take care of yourselves. And I don't, I don't preach this. I'm just saying I want you well. And I want the people that you love well. And if that's what you want, then uh, 
good. But if it's not what you want, then do what you want. I'm not against you doing what you want, as long as you're not getting my clothes dirty. Um, so I'm wishing you guys really happy and healthy New Year, because we're in 2022. That's what's happening here. I'm sending you so much, uh, so much goodness and so much positive energy. And I'm in that mood today. It's real, genuine, positive energy. Lots of love. And here come the plugs. You know what to do. I'm on tour. I am on tour hardcore. I'm playing every nook and cranny that is allowable right now because there's so many jurisdictions that don't allow theaters um, to work at capacity or to be open. And then a lot of them are just booked, and I wanted to get out there. So I'm playing a bunch of theaters, a bunch of clubs, a bunch of places, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to have a special come out of it that's going to be different than anything I've ever done. I hope you like it when I uh, do it and you see it. I hope you see it. Okay, then. Go to bobsaget.com for dates. Sending you guys a lot of good health and uh, all nice stuff. And next week's episode will be there. It guess might be BJ Novak. It seemed like it should happen. Um, do what you do. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, you can get this podcast where you get all your podcasts. You know where it is. It's everywhere, apparently. And it's on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Bob Saget. That's me. Uh, BJ Novak. Just go there. Go through the world of BJ Novak. Do a deep dive on stuff that he's done. Um Watch the premise, FX Hulu. It's uh, I know they're putting every company together. I watched it on the Hulu, and I don't think it's called the Hulu. I think Letterman invented putting the before everything, the TV. But anyway, um, or Norm, I don't know. Letterman is older. You know the drill. Um, just take care of yourselves and uh, enjoy BJ Novak because he's going to have some real great entertainment for you in the future. He is just... He's a damn sweetheart, and um, okay, okay. Boy, I lap up and down my guests, don't I? You know why? Because I mean it, because I'm appreciative. I'm not some kiss-ass, nose-up-your-ass kind of person. A lot of asses in that paragraph. Uh, it wasn't even a paragraph. Okay, I'm going to shut up. I didn't go to Harvard. All right, everybody, uh, be well. Take it easy. Happy New Year.